Hello everybody, Bob Garino here, also known as Reggie Van Gearshift. If you're wondering about that, uh, that name, uh, you can uh, take a look at my first, uh, first broadcast um, a month or so ago, and I'll explain in, in detail. Uh, I was a Ferrari dealer in uh, Cohasset, Massachusetts, a small town about 20 miles south of Boston for some 30 years. Incredible time, a lot of adventures, a lot of trips to Italy, a lot of interaction with the factory. And uh, I decided to uh, memorialize, memorialize it all in, in a book I wrote, uh, published last year by McFarlane and Company, entitled uh, Let Me Sell You a Ferrari. Uh, it uh, outlines uh, my life as a Ferrari dealer. Uh, so today's broadcast is about uh, one of the stories in the book. So what happened is uh, the book was too long, the manuscript, so the publisher uh, recommended that we take out a few stories that abbreviate others. So the, the, the reason for these broadcasts is to kind of fill in some of the blanks. And today's story is about, uh, is about the Berlinetta Boxer. Berlinetta Boxer was a flat 12 engine car. Uh, originally introduced as the 365 um, GT4 uh, at the uh, Torin Auto Show in 1971. Um, 365 was the last Ferrari uh, 12 cylinder that, that used the old nomenclature with the, uh, the numbers representing the displacement of one cylinder and then the uh, um, and then the configuration of the engine would, would be the second part. Uh, in 1972, 1973, Ferrari was bringing in two 12-cylinder cars to the United States. One was the 365 GT before the Daytona, a famous one, also available as a Spider, a convertible, a Roadster, uh, and uh, also the 365 GT C4, which was kind of a two plus two not really, the rear seats were pretty small, but a great car, great engine, great sounds. <clears throat> and those two cars were discontinued in 1973. Um, and they were replaced by the, 400, the 365 2 plus 2 and the uh, Berlinetta Boxer. However, neither of those cars were destined for the United States. Uh, the factory decided that uh, it was too expensive, too cumbersome to uh, meet the safety and uh, uh, the um, emission requirements, so they didn't bring them in. So after 1973, there were no more 12 cylinders coming in from Ferrari, and the dealers were very disappointed in that, uh, and so were the customers, because they loved the cars. I uh, loved the performance, loved the sound, loved the aura. Well, um, a couple of years later, 1974, 1975, we started to see a few of these cars being advertised for sale in the United States, even although it was not legal. So what had happened is they were brought in and then they were federalized, that was the term that, that we used, uh, and they were brought up to either the safety and the safety and the emission uh, standards and then they were able to, to sell the cars, to merchandise them. Um, but they're very, sorry, very, very seldom. So in 1977, Fritz, my partner, my Swiss partner, and myself, we were looking at, gee, maybe we should do that. Well, the 365 had been replaced by the 512 BB. The 512 was the first 12-cylinder Ferrari to change the nomenclature on the cars. It was no longer, the five didn't re represent the displacement uh, of one cylinder, it represented the displacement of the engine. So it was a five-liter engine, and, um, and the BB was, uh, of course, the Berlinetta Boxer. The 512, the 12 represented the engine size, and then the uh, BB was the, was the configuration. 
This car had a little more power, so if you federalized it, it wouldn't lose as much as a percentage. Uh, it sounded a little more attractive. So we decided to investigate uh, if we could get one um, in Europe and, and import it and federalize it, and, and etc. So the important thing at the time was the strength of the dollar versus the European currencies. So we looked at the French franc, we looked at the cars in France, we looked at cars in Germany and Swiss franc and German Deutschmark. But the most attractive tra uh, currency conversion was actually from the Italian lira. So that's when we thought we would see if we could find a car in Italy. So concurrently, in 1977, I had decided to go to Europe and to visit the factory to check on a specific car for a very good customer of mine, uh, Pete Wensberg. Uh, now, the th first 308 GTBs were fiberglass. There was rumors going around that they were going to change the steel bodies. He really wanted a fiberglass car. So I offered to, uh, to go to Europe, and the factory, and, and check it out for him. I decided to uh, buy a BMW 630 CSI Coupe. Uh, we were BMW dealers, and uh, BMW had a great overseas program. Ferrari had an intermittent overseas program. Um, sometimes they were available, sometimes they weren't. But in any case, the car is 12 cylinders. You couldn't bring back to the U.S. without all this conversion. So I decided to have the car delivered in Zurich. Uh, Prince's brother lived there, so he picked me up at the airport. I flew into Zurich in a Cloden, and uh, we're going from, from the airport to, um, to his house, where I was going to stay for one night, and we're following this BMW coupe, a uh, blue one, a fewer blue, with German export plates. I said to Rolf, Prince's brother, I said, Rolf, that's my car. He said, no, 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 this car exists quite a bit in Europe, so uh, in Switzerland, and, and uh, I'm sure it's not your car. Well, inside the car, we stuck right behind it in Zurich traffic. Right beside, in, inside was a man was driving, and there was a woman in the passenger seat, another woman in the back, and they're all sort of carrying on, moving around, uh, laughing, talking. Anyway, spent the night there. The next day, we go to the delivery um, location, which is a BMW dealer just outside of Zurich, and uh, there's the car, and it's the same car that we had been following in traffic. Uh, this woman comes out and introduces herself. She's going to be the delivery agent to me. And uh, before she can open her mouth, Rolf is going at her. How, how could you be like that? My, my customer here from America is very upset because you were, you were carrying on in the car. And so they're going back and forth in high German. And, and that's when I decided maybe, maybe I'll study German. Uh, in any case, that ended. And, and so we, uh, we were looking at the car and we're walking around it. And she's explaining all the features. And, of course, I'm familiar with the car. We had a few of them in, uh, in Coasset. And... Um, uh, I'm really just looking at the cosmetic condition to make sure there's no scratches or dents or anything like that. And uh, as she's talking, she suddenly stops and she says something like, I can't believe why you Americans, I don't understand why you Americans buy this car. You're not, you're not interested in all the beautiful features of it. And with that, Rolf started up again in high German and they're going back and forth, I'm sure, casting aspersions on, on either of their cultures. And finally, I just got in the car and I drove it out of the out of the delivery area in the parking lot outside, and that finally stopped them. So everything was okay with the car. We said uh, we say goodbye, and and, uh, uh, and I thanked uh, Rolf, and I thanked the lady, and, and off I went, headed to uh, to Marinello. Well, I arrived at the factory, which I had been to uh, before, 
and uh, it's just a brick building, and you really can't see anything. There's no cars parked in front, and uh, there was no activity. So I went inside, and, and I had contacted them. They were expecting me. And I met a, a, a Mr. DeFranco, a very nice guy, different than uh, Mr. Albino. I had met a few years before. And so we talked, and, and um, he knew that I was there to check on this particular car. He had, uh, Pete Winsberg had ordered this, this kind of a French racing blue, beautiful, beautiful blue car. So he took me into his office, and, and no, more, uh, no more medieval manuscripts. Uh, this was a computer printout for, of cars that were being produced. And so we looked through the printout, and sure enough, there it said, um, Kennedy Garthwaite was the importer at this time, and uh, Auto House, uh, and the blue car. But it was steel. So I said to him, well, I understand there was still some fire. He goes, well, you know, no, no, they're all steel now. So I said, okay, it's a steel car. Uh, and then I said, well, you know, would it be possible to get, I, I asked, had asked if I could get a tour of the factory because that hadn't happened before. He said, yes, of course, yes, let's go. So we toured through the factory and, and there's a hum coming from inside of the engines, the cars. I'm saying, am I going to see Mr. Ferrari? And, and, no, he, he wasn't there that day. Um, but I had a nice tour. One of the most interesting places that they went was the dynamometer room, the dyno room, where they were testing engines. Ferrari tested each engine before they put it in the car. Then they tested the car and with the engine in it. And, and, and of course, then we got it. We tested it also. So there was quite a few, quite a few steps before it got, ended up with the customer. And the customer was always very pleased because the car um, was perform, would perform perfectly. But what was really interesting to me about the dyno room, they had a V8 in there from one of the 308s, and they were testing the horsepower, which I think was about 240 at the time, US spec car. And what I discovered was that when they said it had 240 horsepower, what the factory really meant was it had at least 240 horsepower. So some of the cars had like more and substantially more. Uh, none had less, but some had more. And that's why we had always wondered why some cars fell faster than others. Uh, and that was the reason they were putting up more power. So it was a great visit. Um, enjoyed it very much. Thanked everybody. Uh, and, uh, and I was off. So actually I was going to the south of France to the coast where I had been a couple of times and visit some old haunts and, and uh, took the BMW down there. It ran very well. Didn't seem quite as fast as the 3 OCS that it had replaced, but it was a nice car. Spent a couple of days there and on the way back I was heading up to, to Paris in France, and I was going to take uh, my way back to the U.S. Uh, I was going along about 90, 80, 90, you know. There's not too many fast French cars, because occasionally Porsche or a big Mercedes or something. And uh, suddenly I saw a headlight coming up behind me, and I had heard that the, the, the police on the, on, the auto, on the auto route had, had motorcycles. So I kind of slowed down a little bit, even although I would, thought there was no speed limit. And suddenly this BMW motorcycle comes up beside me. It was not a policeman, it was a rider with leathers. And he goes by me and I said, well, you know, uh, I don't like that. So, so I sped up and he sped up and uh, I, had, I had the BMW flat out at 120, 122. That's all it would do. It was not as fast as the 3 OCS. And of course I was braking it in the right way. That's how you're supposed to brake in fast cars, is drive them fast. So uh, we sort of played a little cat and mouse, and he was a good driver, a good rider. I mean, we were really good. And then it started to rain. I said, ah, now I've got him, because I, I, the, he was riding an R100 RS BMW, which, which I, had, I had spent a lot of time with. And I knew that in the rain, it, watch out, didn't slow him down a bit. 
and the BMW coupe I'm in, the wipers are useless over 100. So it was, it was kind of a little bit of tag going on. And then we, we, we approached one of these uh, restaurants that are on, on top of the auto route. You know, you can access it going either way. And he kind of motions, he pulls up beside me, motions to go into the parking lot. So he did. And uh, he, he gets, off, gets off the bike and takes off his helmet and I get out of the car. And we introduced each other. His name's Pierre, of course. And uh, he turns out he was a, he was a um, motorcycle mechanic in, uh, in Nice, uh, in southern France. And he was going up to outside of Paris to visit his parents. So we went inside, we had a coffee and a croissant, and my French was okay, so he didn't speak much English at all. But we had a good time. It was, it was, it was a great, great memory. So I get back to the U.S., and uh, I had asked the factory about the possibility of bringing in the Boxer or the 400. He said, no, that wasn't going to happen. He didn't think. So Fritz and I did some more investigation. We decided Italy was the, the place to find a car. And so we went to... Um, uh, this in, the customer advisor was an international attorney, and he had said, Bob, if you're ever trying to buy something in Europe, do any business, let me know. We'll handle it for you, or help assist you with it. So um, we found the dealer in Rome, Cripaldi, who had, he, he, the lawyer through Baker McKenzie, another law firm, found, um, found the car and said it was available. It was a red one, uh, red with black leather, and the price was okay. So we made all the arrangements to get it. Uh, and Fritz and Alice decided to go over. It was in December uh, of 1977. They were going to go over and inspect the car and then pay for it. And the dealer didn't want, he didn't want a wire transfer, he didn't want a bank draft, he wanted cash. Well, not literally dollars, but something like American Express Travelers checks. So that's what we gave, uh, that's what we gave Fritz and Alice. And they went, um, they went over, stayed uh, at the Hotel Hassler, a nice, a nice hotel there in, in Rome. And um, the next day, they're, um, Alice has got all the money in her purse, and they're, they're heading over to the dealership. They're walking over because it was, it was pretty close. Suddenly, this motorcycle with two guys on it comes up beside them. The guy in the back grabs Alice's purse and took off with a purse. She tried to hold on. She's a strong woman. She had been an Olympic athlete. Uh, couldn't do it. Let it go. And there goes the bag, there goes the money, there goes their passports, not even the American ones, they had Swiss passports also. It was a real uh, bonanza for, for the thief. Uh, whether they had, knew anything in advance, probably not, probably just they had seen the welders people coming from the Hassler. Uh, so um, they called me and it's, they were all upset about it, of course, and, and, uh, but I had the travelers checks numbers and, and, and I gave it to them. They called the dealer and, and said, you know, we couldn't. We lost. We lost the money. We were robbed. And um, he said, "Oh, that's okay. We'll sell it to somebody else." I guess not that concerned. Um, they didn't want to do it anymore. It was just too confusing. So um, they had to stay in Rome a few days to go to the embassy to get the passports, etc. Got the money from American Express the next day. That was pretty good. Well, Fritz called his brother Rolf in Zurich, and uh, there was a dealer in Zurich called Hodino. Interestingly enough, the name of it. Uh, they had a boxer also, a 512, uh, red, red with black, the same, the same setup, same exterior, same interior. So they, they flew from Rome to, to, to Zurich and um, saw the car, loved it, enjoyed the dealer, enjoyed the whole experience. The car was only $2,000 more than the one in Rome. And they, and they made the purchase. And they made the arrangements to, uh, to ship the car back, um, back to the United States, um, probably due sometime in January or February.